We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Hi, I'm Jerry Boyer. Welcome to Meeting of Minds. My guest today is Steve Moore. If you're somebody who follows economics, uh, political economy, or politics, he doesn't require an introduction, uh, so I'm going to give a short one. Uh, He's a uh, frequent guest on radio and television, uh, and his work frequently appears on the major editorial pages of the uh, newspapers of the United States of America. Uh, He's formerly a member of the editorial board of the Wall Street Journal. Uh, He has credits with um, the Heritage Foundation, with Freedom Works, uh, posts there, um, and is one of the founders of the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. And it is in that context that we're talking about a new report that came out quite recently from that committee, committee co-founded, I believe, by um, Steve Forbes and Larry Kudlow, Um, This study is Politics Over Pensions, the first annual report card on investment fund managers and proxy voting behavior. Uh, Steve Moore, thank you for joining us today. Hey, Jerry. So uh, good to be with you. Thank you for having me. Good to be good to uh, have you here. And it's good to have this report as a resource. Um, I've read it in total. Um, It is one of the best overviews of the issues regarding uh, fiduciary duty uh, mm-hmm. as opposed to an ESG approach which undermines fiduciary duties that I've seen. This is, if somebody said, I, someone said, wants, wants to know what it's all about, right, um, this is a great place for them to start. So thank you for producing this. So I, I, I think you've done a service to the um, marketplace with this. Thank you. Well, I uh, appreciate those kind words. And we did this study looking at uh, this is a, a little bit complicated, but not too complicated, where we looked at something called proxy voting by major investment firms. So, you know, you know, this year we've got about, um, you know, 20 major investment firms that have trillions of dollars under management. And most Americans have some of their retirement savings or pensions in these in these companies. So they wield great uh, economic power. That includes everybody from J.P. Morgan to State Street to BlackRock to Schwab to uh, to Vanguard and Fidelity and so on. And so what we did was look at. Um, so basically what these firms do, they own trillions of dollars of assets. So they have, you know, in some cases, big shares. They're combined in the in these companies. You know, they can own 20 or 25 percent of Ford or uh Amazon or, uh, you know, uh, Walmart or whatever it might be. And so that's, of course, the client's money, but they vote the shares um, as fiduciaries uh, at the shareholder meetings. And to make a long story short, there are a lot of left wing activists out there now who are uh, putting all these very hostile resolutions uh, at the shareholder meetings, dictating how these companies should operate. And the every one of the ones that we looked at was um, opposed by management because they're not they're not related to the uh, uh, you know to the actual uh, to the actual um, 
you know, fiduciary of the, you know, making profits for the company. And so it's a big deal. And what we found was that a lot of these firms are putting their uh, leftward bias ahead of high returns for their shareholders. And people should be aware of that. So I believe you looked at 50 um, proposals. Yes. Right. And these with things like, uh, you know, uh, asking companies to divest in oil and gas companies, uh, net zero climate emissions. Uh, you know, it has to do with issues like oh, racial and gender uh, quotas on boards and, and employment. And these things are completely incidental to at best or even hostile to the ability of these companies to make money. And the way we put it in the report is, look, if you invest in a, let's say, uh, fidelity or uh, your money is with BlackRock, you just want the best return you can get on your money. And, and that's what the company's supposed to do. You know, as we put it in the report, you're not supposed to save the world. You're supposed to get good returns for the people who put the money in these accounts. And uh, in often cases, they're not doing it. So we graded the companies from A to F in terms of how they're doing on, uh, the, you know, these ESG proposals. So basically, the more they vote for these ESG proposals, the lower the grade. I mean, yes. that's the methodology. And you have, I think you have a one out of 10 scale. Um, yes. Right. Okay. If, yeah. In other words, if you like um, voted 90% of the time for these ESG proposals, you've got an F or F minus. If you voted only 10% or less of the time for these uh, hostile resolutions, you um you got an A. Now, I want to make, point out an important point here, Jerry. Yeah. In every country, right, if you care about climate change and, you know, you want to make sure your investments are doing everything you can to stop, you know, carbon emissions, there are ESG funds out there. You can invest in an ESG fund, and I have no objection to that whatsoever. You know, it's your money. You can do whatever you want with it. What What's important to understand here is that these these are not ESG funds. These are just general funds where they're supposed to get the most money and the highest return as they can for people who put their lifetime savings in them. And so these these companies are voting without the approval or even knowledge right. of, the, of the actual clients. Yeah, this is an important uh, point that you make in the report, which is the ESG voting, uh, the, the records of the ESG fo- voting funds are indistinguishable from the voting records of the non-ESG funds. Um, and and basically we should take these companies at their word blackrock says we're all in with esg you know as a corporate approach now they might have an esg branded but now that's a little bit like that i'm not sure the financial advisor leads with that when they put someone in a blackrock fund but blackrock you know to their partial credit they've been clear you know, you don't just get ESG if you're in the ESG fund. Uh, you get ESG no matter which of your funds. And that is very common with these large asset managers is that ESG is pervasive. Um, it is the default approach of large institutions to corporate voting. And that, there's, I think, two reasons for that. One is some of these companies are just have a left leaning. And also related to that is, you know, like I've talked to some of the CEOs of these companies you know, these big companies, they didn't even know how they were voting. No, they don't. On, they don't. You know, you know why? They because they're depending on the proxy services. Yeah, exactly. They, they well, think the proxy well, services have got it covered. Yeah. Well, actually, in some cases, that's true. But in other cases, it's just the the decision is handed down to the people in the HR department or something. Who, or DEI you know, or the sustainability yeah. officer. Right. Exactly. Yes. So those people are, you know, more 
you know, liberal than, you know, the average uh, board member or the average CEO. But the second problem is the one you just mentioned, Jerry, that there are two large um, investment advisory firms that advise companies on ESG and how to vote on proxy votes. And I, I apologize. I forget the name of these two. Do you ISS what- and Glass yeah. Lewis are That's the two right. large ones. Now, there's Broadridge, which is more of a, you know, not they don't guide. They just register the votes. So ISS and Glass Lewis are the large and there's Egan Jones kind of coming up um, are the and the, it's a very small conservative one called Strive. Uh, oh, by the way, there's Boyer Research. Uh, we're in this business. Yeah. We are absolutely we've been in this business yeah. for three years. Um, I wish they you. Now, so here's the point that those two that you mentioned, the big ones, 97 percent um, of the market. Yeah. And they and they're completely liberal and they're completely left wing. And so and it doesn't make any sense to me why these companies like there are thousands of shareholder re- re- resolutions. But in almost every case, the default position should be to vote no, you know, because, you know, most of the very, um, you know, hostile resolutions right. uh, to the companies and and I want to make this clear to the folks who are listening every one of the resolutions that we graded every one of them was opposed by management now that's not to say management is always you know I don't have a problem with you know shareholders putting you know imposing their will on on management but in these cases they were simply they were opposed because the companies believed that it would hurt their ability to make money Right. And to be clear, we're, look, when we're talking about the large companies, there is a liberal tilt to begin with. So one can almost say even uh, even Apple opposes this. Right. Or, yeah. um, you know, these companies that, you know, sometimes if they're opposing it, it means that, you know, it's probably more problematic. Um, you know, they, they couldn't come to an agreement on it, for example, like right. as your report, you point out, if a proposal is on the ballot, it means that the negotiations failed. Um, yeah, yes. they may have ESG policies on there. We're not talking about ESG policies that are adopted by the company management. We're talking about these outside left-wing activists who are bringing these shareholder resolutions to shareholder right. meeting. Now, we should nuance a little bit on the proxy services, um, which is, I believe, that you're analyzing their benchmark policies. In other yes. words, when you go to an ISS or Glass Lewis, you can say, give me the give me the default. But you can also use them to vote your own and they can make available more fiduciary options. So I assume you're not grading everything they vote, you're grading their default positions. Now I agree with you, their default positions are to the left. Um, but I just want to clarify that's what you're giving an F minus to ISS, you're giving a D to um, Glass Lewis. That F minus and that D is to their default benchmark policy, not to yes. maybe a special policy that a more conservative in- investor or institution could opt into. That's exactly right. right. And so, and you know, the point of this really, the key point. I mentioned that because I've written conservative policies, <laughs> so yeah. they can they can use ISS and they can opt into a fiduciary option. That's the point, right? You know, yeah, and. Right. And, you know, look, social investment funds have been around for, you know, this, Jerry, for 50 years. Right. And I've had a problem with them. But, you know, the evidence is pretty overwhelming that social investment funds underperform the market. And it this is. is a finding of our report, which is ESG funds and ESG, you know, uh, companies that engage in a lot of the ESG activities underperform the market. You know, I'll just to give you a click. Especially in recent years with energy. 
right? Exactly. I mean, the anti-energy tilt. I mean, for a while they looked like they were doing okay, but you yeah. hear you hit an energy bull market, and that just destroys the alpha, the alleged yeah, so alpha of an ESG fund. You're making a good point. So, you know, for a couple of years there, the ESG funds were actually overperforming the market because they were involved engaging in a lot of money in tech firms and tech firms had a big bull market rally. Right. But now in the last few years, they've actually, in some cases, severely underperformed the market because a lot of them divested in oil and gas companies. And guess what? You know this, Jerry, last year, oil and gas companies had the highest returns of any industry. So. And tech funds got crushed because their yeah. growth. And when the right. Fed messes with interest rates that way, it changes the discount rate and the tech f- funds got hit, which, you know, That's- this raises an interesting point, which is, was the alleged overperformance of ESG ever really an overperformance of ESG? Or was it an overperformance of tech, goosed by an easy Fed, which mm. meant so when, you know, I mean, reasonable, when you do reasonable analysis, you try to adjust for the effect of sector concentrations. So when ESG says, oh, we're doing so well in overall performance, it's like, well, are your tech funds beating other tech funds? Are you, are you adjusting for the, for the obvious effect of, you know, growth funds versus, you know, the, of sector and cap? Because... If you do that, then the ESG advantage was already gone before the energy, before the big energy boom of last year. Well, that's right. And, you know, as I said, we've got, you know, 40 or 50 years worth of evidence that, you know, social investing in whatever cause it might be is underperforms. And and that's simply because you're limiting your options, right? You're you're what you can invest in. And so um, anyway, I want to make sure people know the headline here, which is that the companies that did the best were dimensional, which uh, is a, an index fund that doesn't just doesn't vote for any of this stuff. Yeah. And that um, we uh, well, let's see, Vanguard was very good. They got an A grade. Yeah, and, I'm having uh, trouble understanding the Vanguard grade. Maybe this is because as I've looked at their voting this, record, what's that? These are all 2022 votes. So. I understand. I've looked at a lot of this data, and this is probably isn't the place to hash this out. But um, Vanguard's voting record doesn't look so good to me. Maybe it's maybe it's just on these 50 or something like that. Well, let me ask a question. Where do you where... Let me make a point, Jerry? Related to your point, we looked at hundreds and hundreds of resolutions, mm-hmm. and and so we tried to narrow it down to the 50 worst. Now, you know, you and I could argue about whether this one's worse than that one, and we've been hearing from a lot of firms. You know, because they're either upset or happy about this report. And they're saying, well, why didn't you count this one? Why didn't you count that one? And so, you know, we're, we're going to do this every year. And we'd love input from people like you, you know, who know the market and, and know, you know, can identify some of the worst ones. We, we, we did our best effort to try to narrow it down to the very worst ones, but we may have missed some and we want to, we want to continue to improve the process. Right. And there are, there are categories. Um, I've, I've looked at, I looked at about 4,000 proposals a year for the past three years. Uh Uh, So there's a heavy emphasis on greenhouse gas. And I agree that that belongs, but for instance, the abortion votes, there are a whole bunch of pro abortion resolutions. Um, So those is, uh, whether they would actually have an effect on company performance. And, you know, the, I, you'd have to make the case to me that, you know, hey, look, everybody has their own personal, you know, opinions about abortion. The question is whether those kinds of, you know, um, resolutions would affect 
the bottom line of a company. Well, the, I don't... the proposals basically push the companies to, to divest from pro-life states. Oh, I see. So right. if they're saying you have to get out of North Carolina because North Carolina oh. isn't going to allow abortions and it's going to hurt your workforce. Well, but those, are, those are pretty new, aren't they? I mean, those are just recent or have they, they been They've been on? going for about three years, but they're huge oh. this year. This year, it is the fastest growing category this year of ESG proposal. Oh. Right. And so that's 20, yeah, because of the Supreme Court decision. I think we're going to want to look into that one. And look, we're not, you know, because people might, you might have other states that say, well, you shouldn't invest in a company, you know, in a company, you're, you know, people on the right might say, don't invest in any state that does allow abortion. And that would be limiting too. Sure. To the- I haven't seen any of those. I, it would almost be a good sign if the right got so confident <laughs> that it was willing. And I think another category would be like debanking. Uh, that, like this week, our mutual fund, David Bonson, had something before J.P. Morgan Chase, uh, which basically yeah, but, was about I, debanking a client. Yeah. So if they're like giving up profitable business because of ideological nonconformity, then that's a that's a business decision. So um, just just a thought on maybe the way to approach it. So how? Well, so Harry, you have a lot of expertise in this industry. So we may need to next year take you on as a consultant to help us with this because it's you know we want to, we want it to be as accurate as possible. Yeah, and I'm not undercutting its accuracy. I think this is great. This is great work. Um, I'm really pleased that you do, you did it. It raised the visibility. I know you're going to talk about state treasurers in a future report, or let's say state pension f- funds, state pe- because often the treasurers don't control it. This is an important point. We've done some research on this. So you can say to a treasurer, look what you're doing, and the treasurer will say, what do you mean what I'm doing? There's a pension board that was yes. appointed long before I got here, um, but you're going to look at that issue, I think, coming up. Yeah, but- I think we can get, you know, for example, one of the one of the pension plans is in Florida and it, it has a very bad record. And we're going to go to Governor Ron DeSantis and say, hey, are you aware of this? <laughs> These people on this board. And I think he'll, you know, he'll probably want to make a change, you know, to make sure that these, uh, you know, that these people who they have a fiduciary as well, that they're serving their, you know, their union. Because you know, these are mostly union pension plans. So Right. Uh, so where are the where where are the union Democrats? You know there used to be. So I'm in, I'm I'm in Pittsburgh right now, and there used to be something that I would call pension Democrats. You know, like fighting for pensions. You know, yes. they fought to get ERISA passed to protect pensions from Wall Street. You know, my pastor was a union was a was a um, what they call like a union priest, and he fought for the steelworker pensions. And at what point did the Democrats become the people that's like, ah, union schmunion, who cares about fiduciary responsibility? Uh, we're the servants of BlackRock, um, and, you know, which undermines the, the almost always unionized workforces that are in these state pension plans. It's a real weird political reversal. Well, this is a separate issue from, you know, from this issue of ESG. But I wrote a column just uh, last week. Uh, called the blues versus the greens and you know these these union bosses better figure out what's going on in america that the left has a radical agenda to de-industrialize the united states right and um through this climate change fanaticism and you know it's outrageous jerry that in 2020 you know just to give an example the the, the pipe fitters association endorsed Biden. I mean, how stupid is that? Talk about selling rope to the hangman. And then you also had 
one of the minor, one of the major minor associations of, of you know, employees, uh, I think it was the Mining Association of America, the, the, the big bosses vote, <laughs> opted for, uh, for uh, you know, they endorsed Joe Biden when Joe Biden is cutting off all mining in the country. So right. and is, public sector unions are the ones in these pension plans and they're having ESG shoved down their throat. Yeah. And and it hurts returns, as you've pointed out. Vanguard, you know, it's interesting. Vanguard did a study last year in which they said ESG doesn't add returns. I looked at the study. They were being kind. The actual data showed that the ESG hurt returns. I'd like uh, to see that. I'd yeah. love to see that. We do review about 20 studies in our analysis. And do. I don't know if the one that you mentioned is, is included in that list. But because the left is pushing back, they're saying, oh, no, ESG is actually outperforming non-ESG. No. Uh, in the short term, it, it can for one year or two years, but it's not going to outperform. Um, you know, over the long term, because you're just limiting your ability to invest in the best companies out there. Well, and one thought, you know, one angle on this is ESG tends to underperform when the Fed is suppressing interest rates. Good point. So basically, ESG only works when the government has inflationary policies. Good point. So you're paying for your ESG with easy money, which is goosing. So um, this is a little bit in the weeds, um, and I know you're a little bit short on time. So tell me how you... I'm, I'm trying to get a sense of the methodology. So you looked at several hundred proposals. You narrowed that down to 50. Um, you're getting some pushback about that. Okay, fine. You know, uh, yeah. still, they're 50, they're 50 terrible proposals uh, for the most part. Um, so, sometimes these racial equity ones are a little more complicated, but let's not, let's not nitpick them. Because sometimes racial equity audits are actually conservative. Sometimes racial equity audits are, yeah. hey, are you committing reverse discrimination? Um, so there's a lot of complexity here, but you know, basically that I, I think it's a good approach. And then you find out how you're calling them fund families, right? So where, where do you get that data? Where, how are you finding the data on their voting? So you, that's one question that I can't answer just cause I don't, uh, the people who put that data together for us, um, uh, I don't know the name of the, you know, service that provided that it was expensive to get the data and it's complicated to get the data uh and so and and it's really also expensive to just go through as you said there's thousands of these shareholder resolutions is that so, is that insidia is that the firm I, yes that's it yes, okay thank you got it all right um and so, i don't know much about them but uh the, the researchers who we hired to do it you know are experts on that got it okay so I, that might i want to talk a bit about look i'm a i'm a detail junkie so it doesn't yeah. all belong in this interview, right? But um, so I'd be curious. There's something called an MPX form where they reveal how they vote. And I don't know if they're using MPX forms or whatever. It'd be nice to kind of dig down in here a little bit. You want to improve this, right? It's a great start. I know what Chep is, you know, smiling on the undertaking. Um, but, um, you know, be interesting to know more about this approach and how Vanguard gets an A. Um, but setting aside those nuanced issues. I, I think this is really helpful. And you were able to, you know, the Wall Street Journal editorial board talked about it, which is really raising this issue. This issue has gone from a nobody cares three years ago to maybe the top of the conservative agenda this year. Does that surprise you? Um, yeah, I mean, there's a huge backlash against woke wokeism in America. Yeah. Um, this is one facet of that. It's just gone so overboard 
that uh, you know that people are just sick of it, the transgender nonsense. And so um, I guess this is all wrapped in a, in a kind of backlash against um, these crazy far-out policies that are not good for the country. And so, but look, even if you're one, you know, I have a, con- a conservative um, orientation, but my, our point is that uh, no matter what your orientation is, even if you're a liberal, are you willing to sacrifice your returns, yes. you know, to to, uh, to uh, have those um, views expressed? And most, even my liberal friends say, no, I, these are my retirement. I worked my whole life for this money. I want to. I'm not going to put it at risk. So I think that's the point I'd like to make. And here's the impact that I hope this study has. Mm. Number one, I I think it already has succeeded in um, alerting CEOs and management of these companies. You better start paying attention to how you're voting. on. Yes, it's all been happening in under cover of darkness. And number two, and that reason I want to come on shows like yours and so many others is to tell people, look, and we're getting a lot of people saying, oh, gosh, I, I've been investing in UBS. I didn't know UBS was so bad at this. I'm going to move my money into Vanguard or whatever it might be. Or, you know, Dimensional is is the one that Rick just, just doesn't do any of this stuff. Right. right. Uh, you can. You, this is, by where the way, I agree on Dimensional. As I've looked at them out of the biggies, they probably are the best. Yeah, they're yeah. fantastic. Right. And so, you know, if you if you uh, and so. Either if you're conservative and you just don't want your money invested in ESG stuff, or you're just someone who wants to get the best return, you might want to move your money out of some of these, like State Street, which is terrible, or uh, UBS had a bad record. Uh, I'm trying to remember some of the others that uh, Northern Trust terrible. Yeah. And it, it was a- interesting. AQR very bad. I've noticed. There was that. a very uh, uh, kind of um, it was uh, the, the distribution was bimodal, so you had you know, about five or six that were really good and then not that many in the middle. And then most of the other ones either got a D or F grade. So um, I I think you're going to find that the D and F grades come from often sometimes smaller funds that don't have an internal decision making process. And they simply use the ISS and Glass-Lewis benchmark policy, just thinking it's best practices um, so in some ways, a BlackRock is better than you'd expect because BlackRock is actually, I mean, it's not great. It's a C, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm all for firing BlackRock. But just understand that you know, it, the conservatives are so fixated on BlackRock. They think if they fire BlackRock and they go to some smaller f- uh, fund, they may be making their voting record worse because those yeah. smaller funds are basically outsourcing their ESG conscience to the proxy services, and they're not choosing the shareholder aligned options, they're choosing the ideologically aligned options. Um, yeah. six, I want to make sure your uh, listeners understand that there were over 600 funds that we graded. Yes, go into the appendix of the report. You can you'll probably be able to find if you have a smaller fund that you invest your money in, you'll probably be able to find them on that list. But we wanted since those big 40. Uh, you know, count for 80% of the money. That's why we highlighted them. I found that very helpful. One of the things that I think maybe is a kind of a detail issue is, are you dealing with fund families or are you dealing with sub-advisors? Because sometimes firms are acting as trading desks for other funds. 
So if they're getting the voting attributed to them, then that there might be a misalignment. I assume you're hearing from a lot of funds and some are saying thank you and some are saying, wait a minute, I didn't know this. And some are saying, wait a minute, I don't think this is right. So you're kind right. of processing all that right now. Yes. Um, and, and I hope in all of that detail, we don't lose the big picture. The big picture is there is a high probability that your money is being used against your worldview, especially if you're a conservative. There's a high probability that these firms are voting against your interest, whether a liberal or conservative, because they're voting in ways that would hurt the company if these things actually got adopted. And there is a high probability that you don't have any idea what's going on under the hood because they don't lead with the ideological stuff. And And, now this this is a glimpse under the hood. Yeah, they don't inform you. You know, that's one of my biggest objections to the <coughs> proxy voting process is that it's not like they're polling their investors and asking them, how do you think we should vote on these things? And look, if you um, have a big fund with BlackRock and let's say so you actually kind of own those shares of the company and they're acting as a fiduciary of your shares. Well, why don't they ask you what do you think about it? these things, you know, uh, maybe that's impractical, but either they should ask you or they should just stay say, out. What? Yeah, exactly. Stay, stay out of it. Don't vote. Yeah. Don't. Yeah, right. Well, you, do you know who they're asking? It's an interesting point. They don't ask the, the, the client. Do you know who they ask? They ask the institutional investor. They ask the fund family. So you know what the fund family does? The CEO doesn't go to the committee meetings. The CIO doesn't go to the committee meetings. The chief economist doesn't go to the committee meetings. The DEI officer or the sustainability or ESG officer goes to the ISS consensus building focus group meeting. And so there's a a bias selection process. Because I'm going to say in defense of these proxy services, I don't think they want to come down as left as they are. But I think these institutions... The people who are coming forward, it's the loud, it's the squeaky wheel. Just like with yeah. these companies, the left is loud and they yeah. assert themselves and the conservator is like, okay, I'm going to leave it alone. And that's what's happened. Ours, yeah. you know, this is an indictment, obviously, of a lot of the way this works. But I look at this as an indictment of us. We as libertarians or classical liberals or conservatives ignored this issue. We didn't show up. We didn't try to be an influence. And I then agree. this is what happens when we leave it to them. Uh, well put, you know, it's, and, you know, the term we use for what you described is adverse selection. And this is the classic case of adverse selection, where the people are making the decisions are the people least qualified to make these, uh, you know, decisions. And as you said, it's people in the D, DEI, you know, office or the human resources, you know, that aren't, aren't really um, qualified to determine whether these things are in the best interest of the shareholders. So yeah. people should be I, I hope that this will raise awareness uh jerry you're you're a real expert on this stuff so i i, was, I would love to talk to you off air about you know your advice about how we can do this better we are hearing from a lot of the firms which is great you know some said well why didn't you count this one or that one and i'd say there's a you know margin of error maybe 10 to 20 is even 20 percent. i mean they're it's mostly accurate it's not precisely accurate we're going to keep fine-tuning this so we have a you know, uh, a measurement that is um, as accurate as possible so people can make sure they're getting the most money they can out of their lifetime. Well, I'm not here to nitpick. This is a this is a great report. Um, Oh, you you made good, helpful 
suggestions. And this is going to be an annual report. I mean, we should be see- we're going to be seeing this uh, every year going forward, right? Yeah, thinking about maybe even you know looking at um, like college endowments because those are huge too, and finding out you know like how is Harvard voting? How is and then maybe that might influence you know if Harvard's voting for all these crazy resolutions, maybe you don't want to give money to Harvard. Well, I, I'm already convinced. About, <laughs> I think most of our crowd is already convinced about not giving yeah. money to Harvard. Here's okay. another one. What about conservative institutions? How are how are conservative institutions, right? Conservative foundations and institutions, how are they voting? That one well, that one's a little close to home. Some of them may not vote at all. You know, right? So they're using funds, right? And then how are those funds voting? I'm not going to mention any names because we, we all have friends in common. But, um, you know, look, look, I've talked just, you know, I can't mention names, say, to a, like a pro-family, you know, uh, ministry um, and about this. And it's like, well, you know, how, how does this work? And I t- thought how ESG works. And then I ask, how are you voting? What do you mean, how am I voting? You're voting. Well, yeah. but we use a fund. Well, your fund is voting. And it's like, hey, guess what? You just last year you voted for three abortion resolutions even though you're a pro-life ministry. There's a whole zone here where I think the conservative movement is supporting a lot of this stuff. And you mentioned red states, the red state voting patterns. I think you mentioned in this report, um, you know, the red state voting patterns are pretty much in line with, you know, with the voting patterns in general, right? Uh, uh, they're, they're pretty ESG, right? So um, we got we to gotta take a look in the mirror and see what we're doing here. And this is, this is helpful. Term uh, squeaky wheel gets the grease, and that is so true. And I use that same expression all the time. And you know why does the left prevail so often? Because they yell and scream and get. And look to to just to give some of these companies um, some due. You know, I think a lot of them feel like this is just kind of ransom they pay to these left wing groups. Yeah, and you know. Uh, They'll just get these people off our back, you know, by, by you know, voting for these, you know, really, um, uh, you know, intrusive kinds of things. So if all the pressure is just coming from one side, then, of course, you're going to get these kind of results. Yeah. And what happens? Did it get them off their back? Nope. Every year, every appeasement strategy always ends the same way. Every year, the left comes back with hot more and more demands. Isn't that true? I mean, look at these lunatic, you know, um, uh, transgender, you know, transgender stuff, which is 98 percent of Americans think this is completely foolish. And yet they're just, you know, first it was equal rights, then it was gay rights, then it was transgenderism, and it just keeps getting more and more. And they're never satisfied. What what comes next, Jerry? I don't know. (laughs) You know what I think comes next? A return to sanity. Because, because we're finally standing up again. You know, I mentioned Bonson with J.P. Morgan. He's got something coming up with Chevron and Exxon, which is about greenhouse gases. But instead, it is what if you got out of the oil business? What if you Exxon? All the activists are saying oil's bad. Get out of the oil business. What would it do to shareholders if you actually obeyed the activists? So the, I'm, what I'm, the, the fastest growing category of ESG proposal this year is anti-ESG proposal. That's a fascinating development. We're, we're I mean, responding. Like, that stuff, I mean, 
people say, well, don't you care about the environment? Yes, that's why I'm in favor of oil and gas and you know, fossil fuels like, clean up the environment. They don't. We have the cleanest air that we've had any time in 50 years. And, here. You know, and we're, you're going to destroy the American society if you get rid of fossil fuels. So how is that good for America? Um, so uh, we can't give them any kind of moral high ground here either. Yeah, I agree. All right, Steve, anything else you want to say? I think we've covered a lot, um, but is there anything else you want to leave us with? With This report is available. Yeah, go, go to and yes. it's right there on the front page, Politics Over Pensions. You can download the report. Anything else you want to leave us with, Steve? Yeah, I do. I want to tell people, please get uh, our Committee to Unleash Prosperity hotline. You get that, don't you, Jerry, every morning? I do. Yeah. So uh, that's free. I'm not selling anybody anything. It's absolutely free. Just go to our website. When you, If you look up the report, you can also sign up for the hotline. And um, I want to just close by saying uh, the ones that got the best were dimensional and Vanguard and um, uh, I think the other one was Fidelity. And then the ones at the bottom are like UBS, uh, Deutsche Bank, uh, you want to avoid um, companies like State Street because they are put, playing politics with your money. Yes. All right. Um, so committee to unleash prosperity uh, dot com. And right there, there's a red button. I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> Hotline. Yeah. Name, Free. email address. Great yep. resource. Great. Steve Moore from the committee to unleash prosperity. Um, This is a great way to unleash prosperity, to get companies back focused on fiduciary responsibility, which is you put shareholders first. They're not demoted to stakeholders. The the owners of these companies are not there alongside penguins and social justice uh, and unions and all the other special interest groups. They are the most special of special interest groups because they have a private property right in the company. Um, so focus on that and we'll, that's another move towards prosperity. Steve Moore, thanks for being with us. Thanks, Jerry.